Good morning, everyone. It's it's about that time again. So, hate to break everybody up, but uh, it's about time to get our class started here. We're looking at Revelation chapter 14, and we're going to be looking at verses, uh, specifically first here, we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 14, verses 14 through 20. So before we get started this morning, if you will, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you and praise you for all your blessings, for the wonderful day you've given us, Father, for the life you have given us here and that eternal life that your Son has brought to us. We thank you and praise you for all those blessings. We thank you for being the one true God that will be victorious here at the end of times, Father. Throughout history, you will always be victorious and that you will bring us into your eternal kingdom. We thank you and praise you for all that. We ask, Father, for your wisdom and your love. We ask that you would lead and guide us in this study and help us to learn to draw closer and be more like our Lord Jesus. We thank you for that, Father, and just ask that you would help us to learn what you want us to know, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 through 20, we'll read these again pretty quickly here. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. Now we had looked at question 12 and we had talked about that and we were actually ready to look at Question number 13, we're talking about the second harvest or the second reaping. In that second harvest, who did the harvesting? Because if we remember, the first one was... Yes. No, go ahead. I'll quit babbling. The angel. The angel, right? Yes. The first one was one like the Son of Man we associate with that would be in Jesus. And then uh, the second one is an angel. So an angel which came out of the temple, which is heaven. So, and what was reaped? Well, we know that it says the vine grapes of the earth, right? The vine grapes of the earth was reaped. So 
when when I read this and when I look at this, what was, you know, we look at the first reaping by the Lord. What do we what do we see? What do we think that is uh, symbolic of or associated with? Yes. Right. This is the harvest that he speaks of, right, with the disciples, where he says the fields are white and ready for harvest. This is kind of that kind of a harvest. He's harvesting the souls of God's people, right? And so the second one being the vine grapes of the earth, what would that represent? The the opposite, yes, that would represent the other folks who are, are not God's people who are being reaped, right? So, and notice again that this second, uh, notice this angel is mentioned here. Let me get this right. Um, in verse 18, and another angel came out from the altar. And remember, we have spoken before about the altar and the, the martyrs that are under the altar. And uh, here again, you know, and that's from chapter six, where it tells us the souls of those who were slain uh, for the word of God and their faithful testimony are under the altar. Uh, so again, this idea is of God's wrath on people who persecuted his children. And it kind of goes back to Genesis, where we see that uh, God says Abel's blood calls to him, cries out to him. And that's, you know, he's he's offended at the idea of his children being persecuted. So, so that's where his wrath is coming from. Can I ask a question? Yes. No. It's a thrust in your sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. Is that the sinners? Yes, that's what we were. Yes, that's what I was trying to. Okay, I should be more clear then. Yes. No, I was just trying to get it in my mind. That's fine. No, that's okay. Sometimes if it's not clear, that's what we what's what we need to do. Uh, but yeah, the first reaping is Jesus basically reaping the Christian souls, and then the second reaping is um, well, the non-Christian souls being reaped by the angel. Yes. Right. Right. God has not forgotten His people; those, especially those under the altar who were slain for the word of God, for their testimony, for their faith in Jesus. He has not forgotten them, and anyone who is not repentant is going to suffer that wrath of of treating them that way, of doing that. Do you have something, Matt? Yeah, this, this business with the two reapings and Jesus doing the one and the angels doing the other. Uh, there's a passage in First Thessalonians 1, uh, 5 through 7 that kind of kind of says the same thing. You know, sometimes we read this stuff and, well, this is apocalyptic language, you know, and it's revelation and what does it represent? It's maybe clearer. It's the same thing here in First Thessalonians 1, 5. It says, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. Since it is right for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give rest to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, at the revelation of Jesus, the Lord Jesus from heaven, with his 
mighty angels in flaming fire, executing vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So just another parallel passage that's saying a lot of the same thing here. Right. Yeah, that, um, let's see, let me see if I can get that. What verses was that? First Thessalonians uh, 1.5. 1.5? Okay. Oh, I keep hitting the wrong thing. Oh, come on, work with me here. So the angels are mentioned there in verse 7. Yeah. Um, there we go. I just kind of redid that there. It doesn't talk about it in terms of reaping, but it's the same right. idea. The, the judgment is what it means, right? Is this First Thessalonians chapter 1? Oh, sorry. So second. Oh, okay. I was. That's why I'm confused. It's okay. I was like, I, I knew I had seen this too, but I wasn't doing it right. Yeah. Okay. So in case you couldn't hear Matt, uh, for Second uh, Thessalonians chapter one verses five through seven, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment, so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. And the next verse says, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. You can read on, but, but definitely that is the same idea and the same thing being related to us again. Yes. Oh, it uses payback. So it absolutely. Right. Like in Romans 12, 19, you said, right? So make sure I say it right. Um, yeah, where it says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So God, and this is that, this is that ultimate repayment that we're seeing God do, this, this wrath coming on people. Um, let's see. Does anybody have anything else on that, on question 13? All right. So if we look at question 14, what was done with these grapes? Now, these grapes are, are, um, the, the unchristian, the ungodly thing. Yes, Dan. Yeah, they're put in the wine press, right? They're thrown into the great wine press, or it may say differently depending on your translation. Mine says wine press, so. And uh, uh, of, the, of the wrath of God and are trampled. And then, yes. Oh no, okay. Yes. Now mine says who had power over fire, but that made me think of the second death, the fire, you know, the uh ah, I'm not saying it right. The second death is the lake of fire, the you know, that they made me think of that. But I'm, I didn't have anything else on that. I thought about when Adam and Eve were sent out of the garden, and it said that the cherubim darted with swords, with flames. Flaming swords, yeah. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, that is how the Garden of Eden was was uh, defended. Yes. That passage we just looked at from Second Thessalonians talks about flaming fire. And yes, he says flaming fire. And then I think uh, Peter talks about you know the elements will melt the heat. There's fire involved. There's in this second coming and the judgment to come. Right, in the judgment to come, and the fire, and the the earth, everything is going to be burned up in fire. So I mean, uh, because Peter plainly says that everything will be burned up in fire, and then we'll have a new heaven and a new earth. So I I sort of related it in that to my mind, but I didn't look at that any further. It's an interesting thought because I think when we think about heaven and the glorious throne and the sea of glass and the beautiful sea of Yeah, God has all this power for judgment, yes. And I mean, and fire, it's funny, do you mention that fire can be both beautiful, but it's also very destructive and powerful, right? So, I mean, yes, Rachel. Um, going back to verse 9 and 10, it might be that angel. Another angel, a third, follows them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, pour full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy Okay, so see, it may be referring back to that same angel, right? We see that angel mentioned in... Um, Verses 9 and 10 of the same chapter, because it does mention the, a third angel, and that could be the reference to that same angel. And notice that it comes back to, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. And let's see, uh, anyone who receives the mark of the beast will you know, also drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is, again, is what we're getting, what we're heading towards in this chapter. We're we're heading towards this final judgment and wrath in the chapters to come. So, let's see. Um, all right. So, the wines are thrown into the wine press. So, what what happens to what happens from there? What's produced from the wine press? Now, I, I believe this is very symbolic and more of a spiritual thing. Uh, this is uh, blood, though, that comes out of the wine press, and they talk about it being up to the bridles of the horses, and for 1,600 furlongs, which would be like 184 miles, basically, in our thoughts, right? So I believe this is more of a spiritual thing than an actual physical occurrence, and there's a reason for that, but uh, if we... If we look at this, um, what does what is this idea? Okay, what does this represent to us as far as the wine press and the blood being squeezed out, Matt? We get that, that book title of Grapes of Wrath from this. <laughs> yeah, Grapes of Wrath. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I mean, it's, yeah, it's not literal grapes, right? It's it's the people that, that God's judging who rejected they rejected God's God's yes. judging them, and so their blood's representing their life. And Right. This is the wrath of God crushing the wicked, the evil, um, squeezing that blood out. And 
what does the blood represent? Like you said, life. Life is in the blood, right? The, the Bible plainly tells us that life is in the blood. And the blood of their life is being squeezed, or their life in general, is being squeezed out uh, of the rebellious and the evil. And, okay. Yep. Well, that's a good thing to note. We're talking about grapes and the vine here, and that's the same thing that Jesus used to institute communion, right? He used um, the fruit of the vine, the cup, that's what we call it, to represent his blood, right? So this is a similar representation of blood or life, because that was his life. That's what we're receiving from him, right? We're receiving life from him, eternal life. So this is all going to that. And to me, the idea that I came away from on this is that we have to realize that that payment for sin is made in blood, right? Again, the Bible tells us payment for sin is made in blood. So if we don't accept Jesus' payment, that he gave his life for our sin, if we don't accept that payment as our payment and debt, our bet, debt being cleared, then we have to pay for our own sin. And that's what this represents. That's that final, you have to pay for your own sin then. If you will not accept Jesus' payment that he paid the price for you, then you have to pay for yourself with your own, with your own blood, with your own life. That's what that was representing to me. Um, there is also a mention, a reference to this, like in Joel chapter 3, verse 13. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. And again, a similar comparison, a similar uh, spiritual comparison on that. Does anybody have anything on that? I have, I have one, you can call it weird or odd, I don't know. I have one question, though, on this. Have, have these reapings, have either of these reapings occurred? I would say not, right? We're still here, and everybody else is still here, right? Atheists are still here. We're all still here. So I would say not. It's a warning. It's a warning. It is. It's a, it's, it's a promise and a warning, right, in a way. But the promise was not really emphasized. The warning was really emphasized here. So the warning is there. Does anybody have anything on chapter 14 before we move forward? Did you have something, Judy? I had something. I had read on the internet that the 22nd is our, the day of, uh, what do you call it? The day of the rapture. Was the 22nd. I think that's tomorrow. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was, so the 22nd, so tomorrow is supposed to be the rapture? Well, if we're, uh, if we're all gone tomorrow, we'll know that that was right, I guess. But I, <laughs> I imagine, well, we have plans, you know, but it's okay. If God interferes, that's okay. He, that's his business, right? <laughs> He can interrupt our plans. 
No, 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 that's that's fine. A lot of people were were warned uh, early on in Revelation to watch out for false teaching and all these things. You know, well, really, were warned throughout the New Testament and the Bible in general just to not follow false prophets and. Oh, oh! So we know for sure it won't be tomorrow. That I see. That's a good point. That's funny. Oh, they were. Somebody had said that the rapture was going to be tomorrow. Oh, because we nobody knows when it will be, so it can't be tomorrow because that person has already said. Actually, the word rapture is not found in the scripture. No, it's not. Teaching of it's false, but their teaching is false compared to what the Bible's teaching. It depends on what they say. I don't really like the word the rapture because, again, that is not in the Bible. That's really not biblical. The idea, though, that Jesus presented when he said that one would be in the two would be in the field and one would be taken, that's a that a lot of times is what I think they're trying to refer to. How accurate they are, I don't know. So I don't really, yeah. Usually the word rapture goes along with premillennialism, and that's not in the Bible either. There's not going to be a reign of 10,000 years on the earth. When we get to that part in Revelation, I'm just going to go by what the Bible says. Now, you can believe what you want. I can't stop that. But the Bible says there's going to be something that occurs there, and I'm going to go by what it says. And it says there will be a thousand years. Now, I'm just telling you, when we get there, however that works out, if that's something that's occurred, going to occur, whatever, it's, if it's in the Bible, I'm going to go by what's in the Bible. Yes, Dan? I was just thinking on some parts like that, it says in the Bible, some things are a mystery too. So. And some things are a mystery, yeah. And I can't claim, I can't stand here and claim that I know all that, but I'm going to go by what I read in the Bible as best I can. So. Although we can make up almost anything out of the book of Revelations. If you try, you can. I mean, you can make a whole religion out of, well, they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some do. Yes, Matt? So, it's true that the word rapture isn't, isn't a Bible word. I think, strictly speaking, it, it's like, this means to be joyous or whatever, so that, I think you use that. Oh, word. if you look at just the, the idea of rapture, it's supposed to be joy right. and happy and celebratory. But that, that idea of people being taken up, I mean, is a scriptural idea. Now, I think the way that, that it's couched within premillennialism has problems, but like, yeah. back to Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 4, verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead of Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. Now, I wouldn't, right. I wouldn't call that rapture, but there's some, some would talk about that related to it. And that, that's, that's a scriptural thing we're looking forward to. Our hope. Right. I wouldn't call that rapture either, but that too is in the Bible. That's what is said is going to happen, and I believe that that will happen. Well, just like I believe what the Lord the said. And that's the two reapings we're seeing. Yeah. The two reapings are a higher level view. It's more general, <laughs> but that's kind of what we're seeing here is there's going to be the reaping, the Lord's going to come in and reap and take his people, and then there's going to be the second reaping that's going to be the the wrath of God on the ungodly, right? So, 
So we're still seeing that same type of idea. It's not, I mean, we don't call it the rapture. I, I, I can't, when they get into that, and it depends on how they talk about it, I, and I've never studied that because it's not part of my belief. It's not what's in the Bible. Yes? Oh, definitely. It is another time. That's that is another time when Jesus is being our savior. He's rescuing us. He's calling us from this world into the eternal kingdom, right? So, yeah. Yeah. So that's another time and example of him being our savior. Yes. And back to your question about has this happened yet? You know, I think this book can be a little confusing if you look at it as linear. This happened and then chapter 15 and this happens like it's sort of this cycle, I think you mentioned that before, where it's almost like it's it's showing what's going to happen one way with one set of symbols, and it kind of shows it again with another set of symbols. So we'll see more judgment, but it's not necessarily a different one. And we'll see more of that, too. It's just that here, this is really, this is really talking about, well, anyway... But yes, it's not really linear because we're going to go, as we proceed forward, we're not really going to proceed forward. We're going to see some other signs of other things. Some things are going to be moving forward, but, well, that sounds... <sighs> anyway, it's difficult to explain right now, but as we go into the different chapters, like here we're going to see the seven bowls, which are God's final wrath. That's in chapter 15. That's where we're going. So there's going to be the seven bowls, and this is... Um, I see. Wait just a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself, ain't I? Okay. So chapter 15 is the prelude to the seven bowls. Chapter 16 will be the final wrath, and that will be um, those uh, those seven bowls being poured out. Chapter 15 is more of a prelude to that. Let's see. Let's just let's just go into this. In chapter 15, we're going to see. Those who are victorious over the beast and do not fall for the deceptions. Um, and this, this chapter is more of an encouragement for us to stay faithful. Here we've just seen, again, we've seen the reaping and the, the wine press of wrath, which, you know, is something to, it's a warning, something to be aware of. And now we're going to see the victorious. And it's an encouragement to us to stay faithful and endure. And this is also a prelude to God's final wrath that will be in the next chapter. So these three chapters kind of line up together in a way that make, you know, but uh, but not uh, not exactly, because the reapings occur, and then here with this, uh, we're going to see the victorious, and then the next one we'll see the final judgment, so you can say that uh, it's still not totally in 100% order, because of what you're going to see with the final wrath of God. So, anyway, you almost have to look at these uh, individually because they're not all lined up sequentially. But anyway, uh, so chapter 15, the main points are going to be um, 
the first four verses, this is a very short chapter, is going to be the prelude to the seven bowls, and then verses five through eight are going to be the seven angels and the seven bowls, just going to be talking about them. It's not going to be uh, them actually pouring out the bowls of wrath in this chapter. So let me change our picture here, just because I was going to... I have too many things. So this is what we're heading into. The, and this is just that artist rendition, remember. But uh, All right. So let's read the first four verses of Revelation chapter 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. Pardon me. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. So if we look at question two here, what great and marvelous sign did John see in heaven? The seven angels, right? Seven angels having the seven last plagues in which the wrath of God is complete. So again, that kind of makes me think, I mean, so is the wrath of God complete now? We would say no, right? I mean... Obviously not, but uh, just, you know, in, in this present age and today, in this life, we can see that that has not fully occurred, that has not happened. Um, so in these judgments and things that we're speaking of, while, yes, there has been judgment in the past, and like, we, like Matt mentioned, and I've, I think I've mentioned before, some of this kind of represents a cycle of things that happen in society and over time in history, um, as far as being the final judgment that we often look at this as, it is, it is not done. It is not complete. So um, if we look at question three, who was standing on the sea of glass mingled with fire? Right. Those who have the victory over the beast. His image his mark, and the number of his name. Now, the number of his name, I think, again, is supposed to reflect back to that, that number, and I don't really have much to say about that, except uh, the way they looked at that is I think they were still in their time equating that to, uh, what did we say, Nero? So, and, and that's another thing, too. This is, this is all, I still feel like all this is kind of dual-layered. It has its purpose for them then, meaning a lot to them then, and some of the imagery would have been readily 
um, understandable to them at that time. And I think there's also this spiritual meaning that we can get out of it today that we can see that the spiritual side of this as far as uh, the end times is not not occurred. Yes, surely. So is this more than just the seven angels standing on the glass? Why do I want to say that we had a number that said 144,000? Okay, so this says... This doesn't say the 144,000 specifically, but it does say those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name. These are the victorious in the Lord. It doesn't say that it's specifically just the 144,000, though. This could be all. Those who have the victory, right? So, so all of us could have the victory, though, if we have we, we have our victory through the the blood of Christ but and our testimony. Uh huh. Of the seven angels coming down, and they're on the glass, the glassy sea. Okay, let's see. There's there's the seven angels, and then he says, "And I saw something like a sea of glass, and those who have the victory over the beast." Now that could be. The same 144,000 we read about before that were standing before God, it could be. Yes, Matt? I think um, maybe the disparity is between what we're reading and what we're seeing in our image here that you've got up. That, uh, see, it sounds like the text is saying that the hundred, well, I want to say the 144,000, those who have overcome, the, the saints, right, are on the sea, but it's showing us these angels walking on the sea, so right. maybe it's different. Yeah, see, the first verse is talking about these seven angels, but then the second verse is talking about seeing a sea of glass mingled with fire and those who have the victory over the beast. And I don't think... So back there, the, all that stuff, that white stuff in the back, I think is supposed to be the saints in the back. Yeah, this isn't really it either. So Like that cloud back there? Yeah, now here, this could represent... Let's see. If you look at this... This could be representative of the saints, and that's the way they, the artist rendered this. Oh, they are. Okay, so see, you can see better than me, and you're down there. But, yeah, they're holding hearts. So, so this was the artist's rendition, and they did this like this. I, I don't see a problem with that necessarily. It's just... Right. Well, they are singing the song, and they do have the harp, so they're playing and singing. I mean, that's the idea. So, so Rick, yes. Some translations, uh, like ESV and NIV, says that, the, that those people were standing beside the sea, and then the other translations will say standing on the sea. So there's a, I guess this this artist was probably looking at the NIV when they, when they made their drawing. Yes, because mine says standing on the sea. Yeah. Right. Okay, and yours says beside. Okay, so I didn't look at that, but that that makes sense then. So, so those that is representative of the, and it's just of the saints. I, I didn't get the feeling that this was just representative of any particular group, but just that's the saints. That's all of God's people who are victorious. Did you have something, Addie, a minute ago? I did a long time ago. I'm sorry. That's okay. We got all. All over the place. I'm sorry. Okay. 
Let's see. So, so yeah. So that was question three. That was the same. Well, did that answer you, Shirley? That being the saints, or was that still confusing? Because that's as far as the as far as the picture goes. I can't hear what people are saying. Okay, as far as the picture goes. Okay, I'm sorry. As far as the picture goes, this is supposed to represent the saints in this artist's rendition. Now, just remember, this is just the artist's rendition. And from different uh, translations, it says the saints are standing beside the sea rather than on the sea. My, my translation says on the sea. So, and that's in the second verse where it talks about those who are victorious. The first verse really just refers to just these angels. So, all right, so let's see. Um, tell you what, we will, we're, our time is done for today. We will pick up with question number four. Um, I don't know, actually, I don't know what's gonna happen. We're gonna be gone for a couple of weeks, so I don't know how that the class is gonna be handled. We're taking a trip out west, so, uh, but in a few weeks when I get back, we'll either pick up with four or whatever we need to do at that point. We'll wing it, okay? Thank you for your time and your attention.